and what we're going to talk about today is understanding the blessing that we're not waiting to get somewhere. We're not waiting for God to bless us. We're not waiting or trying to get blessed, but we are blessed. I, I, we talked about it last week a bit as I, I you know, went through all the different names and all the different people of what the blessing looked like in the Old Testament. And, and the reality is, is that if you look at our lives, aside from maybe a few things, like maybe you want more of the blessing, but where we are standing right now is we are blessed. And the biggest lie that the enemy tries to tell us or to make us feel like is that we aren't blessed, that we aren't living in the blessing. And when we talk about the blessing, we think, oh, geez, it would be so nice to be there. But the reality is, is that we are there, right? Do I want more? You better believe it. I'm looking for more for the church. I'm looking for more for my family. I'm looking for more in every area of my life. But unless I remind myself and remember, wait a minute, I'm not waiting to be blessed. I'm not trying to figure out even how to get blessed. I already am blessed, right? The analogy that God gave me is, is that if I am a man, you wouldn't go up to my arm and ask my arm, arm, what are you? Would you? You wouldn't be like, oh, Alex, I see that you're a boy, but what gender is your arm? Hey, you, nobody would ask that. Obviously, if I'm a man, that makes my arm a man and my face a man and my legs a man. My whole body is a man. And, and, and I laughed at it, but aren't we called the body of Christ? Nobody wonders whether Jesus is blessed, right? Do you ever wake up and wonder, you know, Jesus, are you blessed up in heaven? You know, as you've taken all the power and all the glory, we have an easy understanding for us to realize that Jesus is blessed, but I'm a part of Jesus's body. So just the same way as my head is a man and my arm is a man and my body, the same way that when we talk about Jesus, I'm not trying to get something. John 15 says that when I'm in him and he's in me, there is no differentiation. So when I ask, it's just like him asking. And the same way that God would respond to Jesus, he's responding to me. So I realize all of a sudden, very quickly, that I'm not trying to get blessed. There's not something wrong with me. There's not something wrong with what I'm doing or who I am. What we're, what, what we're stepping into, and we began to talk about it a little bit more through the analogy of Abraham, is this understanding of how do we see ourselves? And that's a huge area. Actually, before I start, let's pray. And then I got a word for Brett. Hey, Brett, how are you, man? Yeah. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for what you're doing in us and, and through us. Lord, that you're establishing in us your covenant, the new covenant that you purchased for us with your blood. Lord, that we aren't striving or trying to, to, to live in this place, but we are sons and daughters. We're not trying to be, but we are kings and priests. And so, Father, I'm asking this morning that more so than any, that anything, you would deposit in our hearts the revelation understanding. Turn the lights on in us, God, where we understand who we are and who we've been made to be in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so before I start, Brett, I was actually, when I was playing the drums, um, I kind of saw like a vision of you or whatever, and I actually saw your angel it was standing right behind you. Um, and your angel looked like a bodybuilder. Um, and I'm into working out, and so I like to watch like Mr. Olympia and things like that. It's weird, I know, watching men in like tight little spandex things. But I enjoy, I like it because it's, it's great to see what the physical body is capable of doing. And as I looked, he was standing right behind your angel. He looked like you, but he was a bodybuilder. So maybe he was just a little bigger than you, okay? Um, and when I, I'm, I'm thinking, this is kind of odd. And when I asked the Lord, Lord, what does this mean? One of the things that I know about bodybuilders is, 
is not just anyone can be a professional bodybuilder. Anybody can go to the gym and anybody can work out. But in order to be a bodybuilder, it's beyond, you know, you think, well, they just take steroids. It's, it's actually beyond anything that you could do. People who are professional bodybuilders, they, are, they, they have what we would call like perfect genetics. They are the, physically speaking, they are the best of the best. And, and, you know, so you could have somebody who they do the same amount of steroids, they work out the same amount of time, and they end up looking significantly different because one person just has the genetics to be this style of human being. And so when I asked the Lord what he meant, I, I, it was very easy for me to interpret what he meant from that, is, is I feel like what the Lord wants you to know is that in you, God has put the best of the best. Yeah. That um, sometimes the world and situations, and I know this from my own life and going through my own disappointments, is that the world can sometimes make us feel as though not we're the best of the best, but that we're the, the, the lowest of the low. We're the, the, the least, the last, and the lost. And, and I felt very, very strongly that the Lord wants you to know that in you, he's put the genetics for perfection. That it, he didn't make mistakes. He didn't, you didn't just get the leftovers. It wasn't just he used little bits and pieces that he could find to make you. But he handcrafted you, and in you, he put the best of the best, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, yeah. that he's given you everything that you need in order to not just be the man that God has called you to be, but to be successful in the destiny that God has given to you. And so, and so I feel like what the Lord just wants to do right now, I'm just going to pray over you, and, and we're going to stretch your hands to you. And I just believe what God's going to do is he's just going to, like a, a bucket of water would wash over you know, a dirty car, that the, the Holy Spirit would just come and just refresh you and would just wash off of you just all the junk, right? I mean, we all got junk. Who doesn't got junk, right? But the Lord is directing this just on you because I believe there's an anointing here to bring just healing to your heart. And, and almost like I can see it right now, like a deep breath. You know how that feels like you come out of a really bad, you, you know, you ever have that where you like slam on the brakes and you, you're about to hit somebody and you're kind of hyperventilating for a while and finally you're like, oh, and it feels like you just relax. And I feel like that's what God's going to do. So just excuse me, let's just stretch our hands to breath. Father, I just thank you, God, for this mighty man of valor. That's what I hear the Lord call you, mighty man of valor. And Lord, I thank you, God, that you've put the DNA of a champion on the inside of him, that you have said that he is the head and not the tail. He is above and not beneath. And so, Father, right now we command every spirit of, of shame, of inferiority, of insecurity, every bit of deception that would try to have lied to him and made him feel as though he's less than everything that you've created him to be. Brett, we say that you are God's son. You are chosen. You are loved. That, that, that you are destined for success in every area of your life. And so, Brett, we bless you with every anointing, and we call up the giftings and the talents, Lord. We call an awakening to everything, Father, that you have placed on the inside of him, where man have said there is nothing. Lord, we declare that you said rivers of living water would spring forth from our belly. And so we declare that will be his story. It's not the end. It's just the beginning. We declare a new day, a new chapter, and a new season for bread. And we declare it in the mighty matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Love you, Brett, so much. Um, I, I just felt so strongly that the Lord just, he really wants you to know that. And, and I feel like as you leave today, maybe even if we could get him those confessions, AV room, whoever's back there, Ellen or somebody, those confessions that we declared over ourselves, you know, is I am this, I am that, I am whatever. It, we talked about this a little bit last week, um, and, and just really that's what God did with Abraham. I apologize. I just feel like the Lord wants to do this. 
um, that the Lord did that with Abraham when God said he switched his name from Abram to Abraham. And essentially all that God needed him to do was to change the way that he spoke about himself. And I think that sometimes in life, can't we be our own worst critics? It's just the, I think that unfortunately that's society and it's done that to us. And I think that sometimes it's other people, you know, like when I look at you, I can see all the amazing things God has given to you. But sometimes through our junk, we become our own worst critics. And so if we could get them that, maybe we could just print them off a copy really quick. It's literally just a bunch of I am statements. I say them over myself every single day because what I'm doing is just like God when he made, turned Abram to Abraham, all that God did was he changed the way that he saw himself. He changed the way he spoke about himself. So anyways, hope I didn't embarrass you. I just bless you. The Lord loves you so much and we love you too. Amen. Amen. Okay. Um, praise the Lord. Isn't the Lord so good? He's just, man, he's so good. Um, so I, we're going to continue to talk about the blessing because, um, and I just want to say, we're very, if this is, if you're new here, um, we're very unapologetic about the blessing. Um, because one of the things that as I, because we're not blind in what we believe. You know, I, I didn't just hear somebody teach. And because I hear somebody taught this message, I'm just a parrot or a puppet in the fact that I just regurgitate it. I, I challenge things in my own life. Like just because I hear things that people say, I challenge it and I want to know. And, and so when we talk about the blessing, it's not from a place of uh, where we don't understand. It's very studied out and we understand. And the main thing that, the, that, that as I studied out this principle of the blessing, there was one concept that became very, very apparent to me is that Jesus died for the blessing. Isn't that true? I mean, Isaiah tells us that he came and, and he took the curse on him. You know the scripture, it says the chastisement of our peace was upon him. Yes, so in our culture, we can use that word peace like peaceful, like I'm calm, I'm relaxed. And yes, that word peace does mean that. But if you take that word back into its original language, the word peace actually means nothing missing and nothing broken that our life would be complete, that we would experience fullness and wholeness, not just like mentally in our brain where we would think that peace lived, but we're talking about a peace in my life, that I have enough money to pay my bills because that makes me peaceful. And my physical body is healthy, and so that makes me peaceful. And so as I realized that Jesus died to take the curse on himself, that's what he did. That's why he went to the cross. It, it, it would seem foolish to me to not live in the blessing. Isn't that true? I mean, like, it's very logical to understand that. And the reason why we're so intense about the blessing is because I realize that the, the, the way that I honor the sacrifice that Jesus gave, it, you know, we can do a lot of different things and we need to do things. And, you know, one of them is that we take communion and, and I loved your message. I was in Africa, but I watched your message about communion and it was phenomenal. And we do these things to honor the Lord. And, and the same way that we would take communion, uh, we live in the blessing. Because if Jesus died for us to be able to have the blessing and experience the blessing, the way that I honor his sacrifice is that I live in the blessing. Is this making sense to everybody? And so it's not that we're like, you know, the blab it and grab it, name it and claim it. Although I believe in the prosperity of God. And when you're prosperous, your life looks prosperous. And so I believe in that. But what we established last week is that the blessing is so much more than just me. And sometimes I think that's where North American church has a problem with it because we talk about the blessing and it's, the blessing is synonymous with like greed and selfishness, you know? And, and, and although like no judgment on those people because as we've been establishing this over the last few years, we make mistakes, you know? Just like a baby walking, it doesn't just stand up and then, it, you know, it becomes an Olympic sprinter, 
right? There's a process that we go through to perfecting it, and so I understand that. But uh, the more that we move forward in this blessing, and, and uh, being in Africa gave me this opportunity to realize is that the blessing of God has the opportunity and the ability to affect change way beyond my own personal life. Like we were talking about some of the testimonies that we saw in Africa. And one of the funny things was, is that as we were being introduced, because we got introduced to a lot of different people that we were there, uh, um, you know, the world embraces the organization that we were with, and they were going through and talking about all the things that they're doing. And they've done a couple of pretty significant things. You know, one of them is they rebuilt a stadium, and they're rebuilding, you know, sports courts, basketball and volleyball courts, and they've, uh, um, they've redone a jail, and they've done these things. And, and it was like these are the significant things in Gulu that have got World Embrace on the map. And as they were introducing us to different officials and government people and, and people in just high places in society, they were saying, you know, this is Light City Church, and they were the ones who did the jail, and they were the ones who rebuilt the stadium, and they were the ones who, and, and, and I realized from that very quickly that even in the very little that we've been able to do, the blessing of God has the ability to impact people probably that you'll never meet. You know, when there's a picture in there of the soccer stadium. Remember that? It was kind of looked like a big crowd, and there was a couple of, like, armed guards who were in there. We rebuilt that stadium. Like, we, we did that. That for a long time, that was never used. That it was so run down, so just, you know, the, the walls were falling down, and it was basically garbage. Uh, and it was this a memorial in the city that brought pride to just the people and the whole reason. It was basically this tribe, they fought in the war, and so as a result, the British people asked, what do you want? And they want a soccer stadium. And so they built in this amazing soccer stadium after the war, and over the years, and all the war and all the stuff, it just gotten destroyed. And so now, they're, you know, we're rebuilding, like, monuments. We're rebuilding places that bring hope and pride to a people group. This is why we talk about the blessing. This is why we spend so much time and we push ourselves to understand. This is why after service today, we're doing a meditation seminar, not because of us. Right. And sometimes when we can think small like that, we can think, well, I'm doing, you know, I'm doing good enough. I don't really, and praise God for that. I mean, I celebrate with you that you're doing well, but I want to challenge you. Is there not more that God would ask us to do? Right. Is there not more? Don't you feel like our life is more than just what we do today and tomorrow. And that's really what I believe the blessing is all about because somebody is going to take over the world. It's a very stark reality that I'm realizing. And the other reality that I'm realizing is it really doesn't cost a lot of money to take over the world. And sometimes we could think that I was, I think I was talking with Mike about it when I first came back was this idea that sometimes when we think about change or transformation, because we're in North America and, and, and we think that, you know, in order to transform just Fort Erie, it would take millions, tens of millions of dollars. Like, imagine what it would take to take over, not like take over forcefully, but like just be the, not like we're not starting a, a battle here. Like, we're not, I'm not enlisting you into an army right now. That's not what we're doing. But for us to take over, like billboards and have big churches and just be through the media and different avenues, right, where we're taking over, you're thinking in Canada, how much would that cost? It would cost billions of dollars. And sometimes when we think about those figures, it can be very disheartening. Because I don't know you, not know about you, but I don't have billions of dollars yet. Right. You know, come talk to me in a few years from now, and I will. Okay. But I don't yet. 
And so sometimes what can happen to us is it can feel very disheartening. It can feel very much like, what can I do? And we hear that so much in our culture, you know, what can one person do? What can I do? You know, it's usually around like voting time when they're encouraging people to vote, right? And they're like, your vote makes a difference. It's the same thing in the kingdom of God. Your participation makes a difference. Because one of the things that I realized was we really haven't sent World Embrace that much money. I mean, it's not like we've sent them $800 million. But we're transforming a city with a few thousand dollars. It's a a reality, I think, that we have to understand is that when we talk about the blessing, we talk about changing the world, that is actually something that is attainable. It's attainable. It's something that you can actually physically do not a thousand years from now, but you could change the world today. And yes, with a smile, it's going to change somebody's world, but I mean actually change someone's world. Like one of the things we're doing in the jail that we've, there's young boys, and I told this testimony last week, but they, one of the main problems in the jail was the jail didn't literally have any money. And so the children would be going to jail. These are kids who are as young as like 10 years old, eight, nine, 10, seven years old, there was one person in there, up until the point they'd go to regular jail, which was 18. So we're talking about a seven-year-old, seven-year-old. And one of the main problems they have in that jail, they've had for a long time, is that children would go in and they would be fine, but because there wasn't enough food, they became malnourished and they became sick, and some of them, like, very sick. Did you know that you are, you are buying breakfast for that seven-year-old boy? You are changing the world. And that's why we talk about the blessing not because we're greedy, not because we're selfish, but because there are seven-year-old boys in the world. Who need breakfast. And there are women who've been raped and raped. We met a woman who, oh my God, the stories there are just atrocious. There was a woman, I'm just gonna tell it because we need to know why we're doing this. There was a woman who we got to know fairly well, and I apologize if this is going to be too much for you, but I got the mic and you don't, so <laughs> plug your ears. <laughs> she was a young girl, and in this time, so if you were probably 30 and older, you would have been a part of when Joseph Coney was in the North, and... Um, he was horrible, just a bad man, and we pray for him because he's still alive, and wherever he is, that he would meet Jesus, then he would change. Um, but one of the things that happened to this woman who we got to know quite well was the LRA came into her camp, and they killed her parents. She was five at this time. They killed her parents right in front of her. They chopped up her father right in front of her, and they made her drink her father's blood. Fast forward, I think it was 15 years later, LRA came into her camp again, raped her, and she got pregnant and had a child through rape. Give up her whole life at 15 years old to raise this child. You, you, not somebody out there, you guys are paying her wage every single week so that she could have a better life. 
people who the world would have and should have given up on, we have this amazing opportunity to change people's lives. And this is why we talk about the blessing, because our life is so much bigger. And, and as we talked about last week, our perspective and our perception on our life is our, either our biggest friend or our biggest foe. It is either the thing that propels us forward or it is the thing that holds us back. And I think that for so long what's happened in North America and in the North American church is we've honestly felt like what difference can we make? And I believe that God sent us on this trip. He sent us to Africa to help us to understand one thing, is that you can make a difference. You can make a difference. One person can honestly change the world. And, and I believe that what we have to do, and we spoke about it last week, is, is we have to begin to actively and forcefully see our lives and ourself differently than the way that we've seen ourselves. Because one of the things that I've become so aware of, honestly, through, and, and honestly, the main one is not that I don't like social media. I don't participate in social media. But I think that one thing that social media can do is social media can constantly and, and, and subconsciously point out our insecurities, our flaws, and our failures. That we become so focused on the big things that other people are doing that it makes us feel inferior and powerless to do anything big on our own. That we are, like I was saying earlier, so aware of our own shortcomings that we forget that the scripture says that the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is living and active. He's a participant in everything that we would do that God has literally created you to change the world. Your destiny, the DNA that God placed on the inside of you is literally the DNA of a world changer. And our reality must be as believers, as New Testament Christians, as that we aren't caught so much up in our own lives. Although I understand there is a reality in that. But what can happen is, is that when we realize and we see our life through the eternity of where we're going to be, it's easy for us to minimize our own problems and maximize the impact that we know that we can have. And so my perspective becomes my greatest ally in this battle that I face every single day. That's why last week we talked about this with Abraham, as he, God changed his name to Abraham. And sometimes that can be so frustrating because we want it to be a difficult process. You know, and I'm like that so much. You know, I, I like to try to find the loopholes or the reasons as to why things aren't working for me because then I can feel good about myself at the fact that they're not working for me and I can put the blame on something that I don't know rather than something that's on myself. This is just me. I don't know about you, okay? But the thing with Abraham was is that Abraham made it so simple. When God came to Abram, he didn't give him the 95 steps in order to be blessed. You notice that? He didn't come to him and tell him, you know, here's the ABCs and the one, two, threes that make sure you do this and this and this. And he gave him a 10,000 page book in order to do it and make sure you memorize it by the end of the weekend. And if you can do that, then you're going to be blessed. He didn't do that. All he said to him was, from now on, call yourself Abraham. And that's why I love these confessions that we put up on the wall. And I do confessions like this every day because my reality has so much become that if I'm not experiencing something that I know God has given to me, it's not that there's something wrong with God. It's honestly not even that there's something wrong with me, right? Because I'm in Christ and I'm perfect in Christ. And so it's not that there's something wrong with me. The problem is in my mindset, 
The problem is in the fact that like Abraham, I've spent a lot of years not experiencing the blessing. And so now I honestly don't believe that I can experience the blessing. And so the only way for me to experience the blessing is for me to change what I think about myself. My perspective is what I have to change. And for so long, what's happened in, in the church world is that we've tried to say that, well, this is the problem and that is the problem. And don't get me wrong, I'm not standing here telling you that you could do whatever you want and say whatever you want and be whatever you want and everything is going to be okay. But I think that sometimes what's happened is, is we've, we've put a major on what we do on the outside instead of realizing that it's what's on the inside that's actually making the difference. We try to tell people, you know, be good, do good, say good, act good. And although those things are good, we've addressed the outside and we forgot about the inside. But God wasn't interested in changing Abraham's outside. That's why he didn't tell him, go and sleep with Hagar. Because if he was just interested in changing the outside, there was an easier solution to changing the outside to change the problem. But God knew it's not in changing the outside, it's in changing the inside. I've honestly got to change the way that I think about myself. I mean, when you're in Africa and the, the people that I got to minister to, my biggest reality with them was stop thinking that the grass is greener on the other side. Stop thinking you're going to get somewhere or something is going to happen and that's what's going to make your life better. You know, there's a saying that says, wherever you go, there you are. And that's what I was trying to help people to understand is this reality that you could go to North America, you could run to every country of the world, and you could change your job and change your wife and change your house and change your car, and you could try to change things on the outside, but wherever you go, there you are. And that's what happened in Abraham's life was God was not trying to change the outside. What he was doing was if you could change the inside, you don't even have to worry about changing the outside. Change the inside and the outside will happen automatically. That's where the scripture tells us that as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. But what can happen is we can become so busy trying to change the outside. And that's what people have done in Africa and third world countries is They've tried to change the outside. They've built roads and sent clothing and they've, you know, done programs and we've tried it all, but we've forgotten that it's the inside that matters. And so that's the process of where we are. I believe that in the blessing, it's a reality that we have to change because if Jesus is blessed, that means that I am blessed. And I think for a lot of us, we have to leave it at that. Because we can get so caught up in, and don't get me wrong, listening to teachings and doing those things is amazing. And, and, you know, my prayer is that even in this teaching, that what would happen is a light bulb would go off, but not a light bulb in something you don't know. Because I promise you there's nothing that I'm going to say today that you haven't heard before from somebody better or more qualified to teach it. My prayer is, is that these words would go and that they would turn a light bulb on in our hearts where we realize that we are more than we thought that we were. Because that's the process of the blessing, is realizing that Jesus has already done it. When he hung on the cross, he made this statement, and the statement was, it is finished. Not, it's going to be done. Not, hopefully, sometime in the future, it's... No, he hung on the cross, and he made this statement. He said, it is finished. What is finished? Everything he was going to do. 2,000 years ago... He showed up and died on the cross so that next month your bills could be paid. 2,000 years ago, he died on the cross so that that person in your family who's sick, even though it's 2,000 years later, could be made well. 
He's already done everything that he's going to do, past, present, and future. He doesn't live within time. He doesn't need to die again. He doesn't need to shed his blood again for the problem that you're facing. The, the, the scripture says that once and for all. He died one time, and it was to cover every problem, every situation. The blessing covers over every area of your life. So the question is not whether God can do it. It's whether can we believe it. Can I believe that I'm a partaker in what Jesus did? Can I believe that his blood is greater than my situation? His sacrifice is more than my situation. Can I believe that as we make those confessions, I am blessed, I am strong, I am energetic, I am wise. Can I believe it more than my situations? Because I'll tell you something, your situation is never going to precede your revelation. That was good. I must have to say that again. You missed that. What I mean is that sometimes we can wait for our situations to change, and in the, the wake of our situation changing, we would say, I will change. Like, I hear this from people all the time. Not all the time, actually. I used to hear it more than I do now. Probably because of all the teaching we get here, and people know, you know, he was just saying, even a fool thought wise when he kept his mouth shut, right? <laughs> so people will say that, they, they used to say it, is like, uh, you know, when I get blessed, then I will be generous. Hey. And, and that's a lie. But sometimes we could do that in our life, you know, is that we could feel this way. We could feel like we want our situation to change before our problem, before like, we change, or that somehow in the changing of our situation. But I tell you something, it's, because, until we change our belief systems, problems in our life are going to be perpetual. Yeah. Like you might get a miracle and your bills get paid off, and that's amazing. But don't stop there. Because the blessing wants to take us above and beyond. The scripture says it like this, from glory to glory. Like we are supposed to live in an exponential acceleration in every area of our life. And that's a promise to us, but it comes as a result of changing what we believe. Amen? Okay, so I'm almost done actually. So what I want to do then this morning really quickly is I want us to understand if believing is our biggest ally... The opposite of believing is our greatest enemy. Does that make sense? So what I would call anti-believing is we would call it doubt. So if believing is my friend, doubt is my enemy. If I want to believe, I want to make sure that not only am I believing, but I'm also keeping out the doubt. And one of the things that I noticed in faith circles, which is what we are, we're word of faith people, because we believe in faith, we believe in the blessing, we believe that one word from God can change your life forever. Okay? So we are faith people, and one of the things about faith people sometimes, most of the time, and it's good, is that we have really good confessions, right? And so, you know, I, my leg is falling off, and people are like, hey, how are you? And I'm like, ah, oh, I'm blessed, brother. Living in the blessing, totally healthy and whole. And that's amazing because we should have good blessings, okay? But sometimes we should have good confessions. We should have good blessings, and we should have legs that work. But sometimes what can happen is, is that we are in denial about our doubt, okay? And, 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 and I think that everybody is there, truthfully. And because we're good faith people, we want to deny our doubt. But the blessing doesn't come because we deny our doubt. The blessing comes because we believe in the word. You understand what I'm saying? And so not that I'm saying that now we just talk our problems because we don't want to do that because our confession matters. And if I'm sowing seeds of doubt, I'm going to get trees of doubt right? And I don't want that. And so even though I may feel doubt, I'm speaking the blessing. But I can't just stop there. 
I have to understand that there are areas in my heart where I'm doubting and deal with the doubt. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Am I following you? You follow me? Okay, I just want to make sure you're getting me here. And so what I want to talk about really quickly in the last five minutes that I'm going to talk is how do I identify the doubt? Okay, because if I can't find doubt from what I say, because we're just not going to talk back, right? I don't know about you, but I've done the best, very best of my ability to resolve that. I'm just gonna, not going to talk about bad stuff. I'm just not going to say bad things. I'm not going to, and of course we slip up, but I'm not going to see the doubt from my coming out of my mouth. But so I have to understand in the process of having a good confession, how do I have good confession, but also identify the doubt so I could deal with the doubt so I could live in the blessing. Okay. Cool. Thank you, Garth, for your enthusiasm. I feel like I'm preaching really good and you guys are just staring at me. Could just be me though. Okay. So the very first way that we identify, does everybody understand where we're going with this? Okay. I want to make sure that, because sometimes it's not in the reactions, but I want to make sure we understand because I believe that these are keys that God is giving us in order to live in the blessing. I'm not just trying to like preach good or be funny. I, I actually believe that we are going to live this. I'll say like, I, I believe that I'm going to live this. And these keys are going to help us all live it if we do the keys. Okay. So the very first way that I identify doubt, because if I can see these areas of my life where there are doubt, I could be like, oh, there's doubt there. Let me go deal with it. And so not that I have to tell the whole world about my doubt. I'm still having positive confession. I'm still thinking positive and acting positive. But because I've seen this area of my life, I know there's doubt there. So I know that I could deal with it. Okay. So the very first area where I see doubt is in pessimism. Okay. People who are pessimistic right? Where, you know how the saying, right? The glasses, you know, some people, the glasses half full, other people, the glasses half empty. And that's just, when you feel like the glass is half empty, that's pessimism, right? When you see life and your assessment of life is always through the lens of the negative, through the lens of what's wrong and how things are going to be wrong or go wrong. Like I've had that before. I've talked about that with red lights. I got a thing with red lights and I got to work on my faith with red lights uh, but I, man, I'm getting stuck at red lights like crazy, right? And because I have to clean up my confession, truthfully, I need to do that. Um, but a red light will happen and I'll be like, oh, figures, right? Right? And what is that? That's pessimism. That's expecting the negative to happen. And man, I hear that all the time. Not just from myself, but from lots of people. And it becomes a part of our culture, you know? We have these things where we honestly expect the negative things to happen. And when negative things happen, we almost find comfort in it because it's like, oh, I, I knew that was going to happen, yeah. you know? It annoys me, but it's like, oh, I yeah. totally expected yeah. this, so it doesn't even bother me. And we are comfortable living in our pessimism, even though it's holding me back from living in the blessing. So the first area where I identify doubt is, I identify doubt in pessimism, okay? Because if I believe that God is good, green lights are good. I mean, who likes stopping at a red light instead of getting to drive through in a green light? Nobody. Green lights are good. God is good. God loves me. Green lights are my destiny, right? I'm living in the green light promised land, right? And so it's a funny, simple analogy, but the reality is, is that we identify doubt in all areas. And sometimes it's not in the big things, but sometimes it's in the small things that we identify some of the deepest wounds in our hearts, okay? And so we're looking for pessimism in every area because I understand it's an area for me to grow into. And as I grow into something, the blessing in my life increases, okay? So that's the first one is pessimism. The second one is passivity, okay? This is how I used to be, um, and uh, which I'm no more, thank you, Jesus, is that there's really no aggressive desire to move forward in life. That 
it's an attitude and, and where we, you hear people say this, that we're just waiting on God. And waiting on God honestly means like I'm, you know, waiting on my car to get cleaned. Like I'm doing nothing. Somebody else is cleaning my car. And when my car is cleaned, then I will get in and drive it, right? That kind of waiting on God where I'm doing nothing and I'm waiting on God to do something that 2,000 years ago he already did and he left the responsibility with me, but I'm waiting on him to do it again, maybe. I don't know. But that's passivity where I'm not aggressively trying to move forward. And so no condemnation, but like, for example, the meditation seminar after service today. It's going to be full now. We're going to have to do it in here because now everybody is going to go. But where there are areas where I realize that this is a tool, this is a mechanism that I use in order to change my belief system. And so because of that, because I want my belief system to change, I'm not waiting on God to do something he already did. I realize that I'm the one who has to change. So I need to renew my mind to the word so I can experience the blessing. So if I could get that in a meditation seminar to learn how to do that faster, I'm going to go and I'm going to be there. The opposite of that, waiting for it to just happen, that's passivity. That's a sign of doubt. That's a sign that we honestly don't believe it, okay? Because if I was holding a check for a million dollars, I would know whether you believe that this check was actually good if what? You ran up here and grabbed it out of my hands, okay? And that's a, the, 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 the reality of it is, is like if there was gold bars up here and I said, first come for a serve, right? You would all be like, oh, I'm gonna go get them because you believe that these are gold bars and they're actually going to be yours, when we aren't actively pursuing something, it's not because we don't know, right? It's like when there's like a really, like the last piece of pizza on a tray, you know, and you want it and you're like, I'm going to grab it because I want to eat it, right? When I don't experience that, that is because I honestly don't believe. So when I'm not actively trying to pursue something, it's an area in my life where I can identify doubt, okay? Everybody got it? Number one, pessimism, feeling like things are negative. Number two, passivity. I'm not actually trying to change anything in my life. I'm just kind of living case or sera, what will be, will be, okay? Number three is panic. Panic, okay? Panic is um, fear, okay? When a bad situation happens and immediately your mind goes to the worst possible scenario. I had this. Last time I was in Africa, um, I've told this story before. I was panicked the whole time, actually. So I could literally say last time I was in Africa, period. That's the end of the story. Because I was literally panicked the whole time. But I remember that, and I dealt with panic in my physical body. Okay, and so I was afraid I was always going to get sick of something and die of something. And so I have stretch marks on my arm, and my stretch mark had like a little red bump on it, which is kind of normal because it was sort of irritated probably from like a t-shirt or whatever. And I was laying in the sun as I'm literally trying to figure out why God sent me to Africa. And um, I looked under my arm, and there's a red bump on it. And immediately my brain doesn't just say, it's a red bump. Immediately my brain says, you have cancer, you're going to die, right? Okay. And that is what panic is, is that immediately something happens, a bill comes in the mail, you don't have enough money, and immediately your brain goes to, this is it, it's over, we're done. Well, out of panic, we see like anger and frustration, things like that, where it's like an overreaction to a situation because I'm honestly afraid that the worst thing is going to happen, okay? That's simply just a sign of doubt, okay? And so I don't stay there. I identify areas of panic and I deal with them, okay? The last one... And this is the one where none of us are, thank God, is pity. So we have pessimism, passivity, panic, and pity. Pity is this feeling of I'm powerless. And I think that truthfully, this is where most people in North America feel. We feel like 
other people can do something, but I really can't do it. I can be honest with you, going to Africa two weeks ago, I would say out of my mouth, we're going to change the world. But it was mostly in platitudes. It was mostly because it's the right thing to say, and I know things to say that will hype up a crowd, and we're going to change the world as one of them, and so I would say it. I honestly didn't know how we were going to do it, or truthfully believe that it was even possible in my lifetime, but I would say it, okay? Coming back from Africa, that's a very different story. But what, that feeling of pity is this feeling of, uh, I honestly feel powerless. I don't feel as though there's anything that I could do to change my situations. And pity's best friend is blame. Anybody like to blame in here? Right? I like to blame. Ooh, it feels good to blame. Right? Something goes wrong and immediately I'm thinking, who can, whose fault can this be? Right? Somebody. But that's the thing, is that what, when I realize that what, when I pity myself, when I feel like I'm powerless, when I feel like I'm a victim, oh, it's somebody else's fault. If this would change, if this would have changed, oh, if it wouldn't have been for this situation, oh, if it wouldn't have been for, what? It's a stance of powerlessness. There's nothing that I can do to change my situation. And so I just kind of got to accept the fact that this is what it is. You know, my parents have been poor, you know, and so I'm going to be poor. My, you know, there's cancer in my family, so, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to have cancer. What? It's feeling of powerlessness that your situations have more power than you have, okay? But I love the scripture, and so those are the four things. Pessimism, passivity, panic, and pity. But I love in Ephesians 2, 3, makes this statement. But God. But God. And, and I love this statement of but God because sometimes as I talk about these things and as sometimes God uses these opportunities to reveal the state of our own heart as we find ourselves in these things that we probably shouldn't be. I love that the scripture in Ephesians says this, but God. It's as though God is in his grace and mercy intervening in the middle of a situation in our life that maybe we feel as though we can't change, but God is reminding us in this moment that he is greater. Because I tell you something, sometimes all we need, sometimes you can't figure it out. You know, sometimes you don't have enough energy in order to think that there's something good about you. But can you just for a moment think that God has actually made a way? Sometimes we honestly got to stop thinking that we can come up with a solution and realize that God has already made a way for us to get out of our problem. Sometimes the easiest way to get out of a situation is to stop looking at the situation and start to focus on God who already gave us a solution to the problem, but God who is able. I tell you someone this morning, you're probably in a situation. You're probably facing a problem. There's probably some area in your life that's less than what you would want, but God. I'm just gonna invite you to close your eyes for two seconds because I, I feel like these last two weeks that really what God is doing in us is he's giving us an opportunity to change. Not change because there's something wrong with us, not change because you know, he needs us to, but change because we honestly want to be blessed change because we honestly want to change the world. And so I'm going to do this really quickly. I'm going to pray over you. But I'm just going to ask, if you found yourself in one of those four categories, I'm just going to ask you to slip up your hand really quick. You can put it up and put it right back down. Don't feel ashamed. Don't feel nervous. Everybody's got their eyes closed. I just want to pray for you because, oh, but God. 
because God is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or think or imagine. Let's just pray through something together. because I'm going to explain something really quickly. Sometimes there are things in our life, we call them traumas. Situations that have been very negative in our life. And the result of it is it's left kind of like what's a scar on our soul, like a scar on our mind. That we went through something and it was painful, it was negative, it was just a bad experience. And it left us, and kind of maybe that we've never been the same since then. I know I've had some of them in my life that God has brought me back to. And I could see a tangible change in my personality, my character through this situation that it was like in a moment I changed. And we call that a trauma. So it's not necessarily that you got a shot with a gun, although you may have, but just a negative situation. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to ask the Lord just to go in and heal that. So this is what I want you to say. You can just repeat these things after me. Just say, Holy Spirit, bring me to the remembrance of a trauma that I experienced in my life. going to bring you somewhere. You may be old, you may be young. It may have been yesterday or 10 years ago. This is going to take you somewhere. Chances are you're going to remember it. Chances are there's going to be an emotion attached to it because it would have been something negative you experienced. If you're there, I want you just to lift your hand up real quick. I'm going to see all the hands your eyes closed. This is between you and the Holy Spirit. I want you to say this. Just say, Jesus, I invite you to stand in between me and this trauma. So you're going to see him now. He's going to step into the memory. Maybe he's going to look like a shield. He's going to look like something. He's going to block you. Money's there. I just want you to say this. You say, Jesus, I choose as an act of my will to give you this trauma. Now say, Jesus, what do you want me to receive? trauma. Say, I command any spirits of shame, inferiority, fear, confusion, or any other demonic force 
to go to that place that Jesus has prepared for you and never return in Jesus' name. Say, I choose as an act of my will to close any gates that were opened during this trauma. I pray that all consequences of this trauma be healed in Jesus' name. Say, Jesus, come in and heal the memory and remove all pain. Say, I command all fear, torment, panic attacks to cease now. Nightmares, cease now. Sickness or pain, cease now. Poverty and lack, cease now. And I declare that the memory of this experience be healed now in Jesus' name. Say, Jesus, thank you for healing me. Say, from this moment forward, I am free and I will live out of this freedom and the blessing it creates for the rest of my life. Say, from this moment forward, I will live as if the pain of this experience never existed and I choose to see my life, past, present, and future through the eyes of the love of my Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Now with your eyes closed, hang on, we're not done. And now you want to cheer because you're free. Say this, say, Jesus, show me a picture of myself free from this trauma. take you in this picture. Father, we set them in stone and declare they are done. Like you hung 2,000 years ago on the cross and declared it is finished. Father, I'm making a strong declaration saying that we are never going back to our doubt. We're never going back to our fear, to our insecurities, to our anxieties. We're never going back to this trauma or any related trauma that would try to keep us stuck in believing we are less than everything that you have said that we are. Father, Right now, we invite you to come in and speak vision, destiny, purpose, Lord, light in place of darkness. Father, we ask you everything that the enemy has stolen, spirit, soul, body, relationship, finances be restored now. Lord, every bit of wisdom, every relationship, every bit of inner wholeness or completeness, everything that the enemy tried to steal, we declare restored now in Jesus' name as if this trauma never happened, the lies never happened, the agreements never happened, and we believe the truth of who we are from the very beginning. 
Lord, we declare that you restore us, spirit, soul, and body to the man, the men and women that you've made us to be. And we thank you for it. And we say we are free in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.